Hello, and welcome to Primarily Friends, a podcast about the 2020 Democratic primary. I'm Catherine. And I'm Bert. And this week, we're going to finish up the Declared Candidate Roundup. So strap in. It's going to be a good one. Let's go. All right, let's get right into it. We left off last week with our boy uh who was last oh wait never mind we left off last week with our girl kirsten gillibrand and she was kind of the last of the big six that have the best chance of getting hot take hot take we got i think we have a contender in this week's episode but I mean, it's also a little too, it's a little too early to tell at this stage, but they're kind of like the biggest names. Um, but there's definitely some strong contenders in this half of our breakdown episode. Absolutely. And we're going to kick off this half with Governor John Hickenlooper. We're going to kick in Looper off this. That's nothing. I'm sorry. With Governor John Hickenlooper. He's actually um, the ex-governor of Colorado, and he has a pretty interesting resume. He was a geologist, so he was a scientist, which means automatically that he's smart. (laughs) And then after he was laid off, he decided that he really liked beer because most Americans do. And so he decided to found a craft microbrewery. And this was like, this was back before microbreweries were the cool hipster thing to do. This was like early days when it was just weird dads and people that had nothing to do with their lives. So he kind of founded one and made it cool. And then it caught on in Denver, in downtown Denver. And he eventually turned it into a whole chain of craft microbreweries. Harsh take on the nothing better to do with their lives bit, though. Wow. I'm keeping it. He's a small business owner. He's contributing to our economy. (laughs) If your passion is brewing alcoholic drinks in small batches, who am I to stop you? You know what? You're right. Um, And clearly the people of Denver really thought it was great. So he ran for mayor, yeah, mayor of Denver, got elected mayor of Denver. And oh, that's the beer guy. I want to vote for him. Yeah, I feel like I could have a beer with him, preferably one he made. He's so likable and approachable, and he gives me beer. Uh, so he ran and won the mayorship, and then from there he used that as a springboard to become the, go- uh, the governor of Colorado. He served two terms, and in Colorado, you can only be governor twice before you are term-limited out, and so he couldn't run again. But he left office with one of the highest approval ratings of a governor ever. Um, He was governor during the Colorado, Aurora, Colorado movie theater mass shooting, Um, and in response to that, he passed some pretty strict gun control measures to curb uh, what he thought was an abundance of guns in his state. And he thought it was too easy for people with mental health issues or just people who shouldn't have easy access to a firearm to gain access and control to them. And he took a bit of a political hit at the time 
but clearly his ratings did bounce back. Yeah, I mean, good for him for acting that quickly on the issue. Yeah, um, you might also know him as the weed governor because he uh, was instrumental in Colorado legalizing marijuana. And he actually did some pretty good budget work because he was able to balance the budget with all the taxes they collected from weed. Well, wasn't he, uh, just to, he wasn't exactly a pioneer. He was against legalizing weed until he found out how much money he could make for the state through the legalization of weed. A hundred percent. He was super anti-weed and then he heard dollar signs uh, in his head and became very pro-weed. He was like, oh my god, I can balance the budget. Let's get high, guys. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's just part of his small business owner persona. You know, he's doing the most economically good thing for his state. But he seems to think that he can just walk into Mitch McConnell's office and sit down at the desk opposite him and just talk it, talk to him, talk it out, you know, talk about their problems, talk about the issues facing America, and all we need to do is just talk to each other, and that's gonna magically solve our problems. Yeah, because the only problem that's so far is just lack of communication. People aren't talking enough to each other, guys. Yeah, it's almost like he has willfully ignored the past five to eight years of Mitch McConnell being an absolute obstructionist. Mitch McConnell did say right after President Obama was elected that his only job was to make sure President Obama was a one-term president and didn't get anything passed. So I think talking to him in his office isn't going to get you very far, my boy Johnny, but... You know, if it's uh, if it's what you truly believe, we're here to watch you, and we're going to be very interested in how that goes for you, buddy. Yeah, I think he's got some rose-colored beer goggles on. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that's how. That's really the reaction I want when I make a joke. Just ooh, yeah. That was great. That's ex- I literally could not have said it better myself. And I think that is the perfect way to wrap up ex-governor of Colorado, John Hickenlooper. Rose-colored beer goggles. So speaking of candidates for the primary in 2020. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Amy Klobuchar. Oh, do tell, do tell. So Amy Klobuchar announced in a speech where it was snowing like crazy. So you may have, what little people know of her comes from the video of her hair absolutely covered in snow and her shivering in the middle of delivering her announcement speech. And honestly, what an image. I I watched it. It was great. Um, and she's clearly freezing, but I just kind of wanted to open it with that. Like she, she's from Minnesota and so she's very um, tough, sort of like farm country aspects to her. She's a person from the earth. They work with the ground. They farm TM. (laughs) They do farm. They do do that. Uh, So she is a senator from Minnesota, and she actually also co-sponsored Bernie Sanders' $15 an hour wage increase bill in January of this year. But she has some things that do set her apart, which are 
uh, one of her main focuses is actually election security. She brought up the interference with Russia in her announcement speech, and it seems like it's going to be one of her big issues that she's going to bring up more frequently. Basically, she wants heightened scrutiny of elect- like how we conduct elections, especially electronically, and she also, in like a Warren-esque, um, saving people from sort of unclear terms of service like she's into improving regulations for what you can and cannot say in online terms of service and how you can phrase it and how clear it has to be like she just basically wants to make it easier to understand which i think is great i love it i love it terms of service are pretty famously like they hide all the shittiest things in the terms of service that people never read and it's I mean who has time to read all that stuff and it's super small and phrased confusingly so I think more regulations on that is awesome is it like something that you need to bring to the forefront of the 2020 election I don't know uh she also has issues with President Trump's trade plans uh mostly because her constituents are a lot of farmers and they don't benefit as much from trading with China as they would trading from Canada. So her trade her trade resolution would include trading much more with Canada and less with China because that's what her constituents kind of want. Um, and she's got that, like, Midwest support and that ability to work with rural people. I mean, rural white people, but still. <laughs> um, the demographic that mostly voted for Trump and kind of swung the election. Mm-hmm. Especially in these upper Midwest states. Yeah, it could, I mean, it could shake out really well for her if she can really harness that support. She had that weird, like, mini-scandal about her allegedly throwing a binder at a campaign staffer. Right. And she had, and personal accounts of her describe her as, like, harsh. And she's defended herself, saying that she is just... Like, she has really high standards and she runs a tight ship. But it's weird because you get this, like, professional side of her where she's very, like, cutthroat. And then you get this more public side of her where she's trying to be this, like, sweet, personable, hospitable, Midwestern girl kind of image. So she's got these two conflicting images. At this, you know I what I mean? I completely agree. It's like, on one hand, you hear her as a boss. She's, like, incredibly demanding. Um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it should be noted. No, absolutely that, not. you know, she's very, very harsh. And then on the other hand, when she's out doing retail politics, she's like, oh, hiya, how are ya? Oh, yeah, it's so good to see ya. Like, all smiles. It's like, okay, okay. But I do think there's a bit of a gender dynamic to that criticism, as I'm sure you agree, uh, that there are plenty of men who run for political office, who are terrible bosses too, and it's never made a big deal of. Yeah, there's definitely a gender divide because, I mean, if a man is take charge in his professional life and hard on his staffers, he's seen as like, you know, a commanding boss. But if a woman is like that, she's like too harsh and cruel. People have called her cruel and like, it's just, like you... I don't think men would get the same amount of scrutiny for acting the way she acts. I'm not excusing her behavior. Like, if she did throw a binder, it was alleged, but it was reported by some reputable news sources. Um, But, I mean, if she did actually throw a binder and it was the worst-case scenario, 
that was described, that's completely unacceptable. Yeah, that's bad. But at the same time, like, why are we calling her out for this when we have a man-child in the White House currently? It's just, it's like, what do we choose to focus on and what do we choose to ignore or accept? You know what I mean? Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I have to say about her. She is, there are some things that she says and stands for that I like, but on the whole, she is not my favorite. Like, I like her, her, spe- her announcement speech was awesome. I really liked it. She said a lot of, like, very progressive sounding things in there, but then when you actually listen to her interviews, like, she doesn't, she doesn't really, um go for those ideas as hard as I want her to. Yeah, she wants to run as a progressive, but she also wants to keep herself as a moderate. She wants the best of both worlds. Yep, and you know how that works out. Oh, we'll see. (laughs) Speaking of somebody who wants to be seen as progressive, even though he used to be pretty moderate, Julian Castro. Julian Castro is the former San Antonio mayor, and he used to be the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Obama. And that's it. That's really his entire resume. This guy (laughs) has two big things. He used to be the mayor of America's, I think, eighth largest city. Don't quote me on that. I think it's in the top ten. Um, and then he ran one of the agencies for President Obama, and then nothing. He didn't run for Senate, he didn't run for governor, he just kind of faded into the background. He raised money for Democrats during 2018 as a speaker at public events and private events, and then he decided to run for president because everybody told him to. Just jump in the pool, guy. The water's fine. Yeah, it's a little bit of a hot take, but I I do think that he is running mostly because everybody his entire life has told him that he should run. Uh, And that's for a couple reasons. One, he is a very good public speaker, and that's always key. And two, he's very, very smart. He is seen as an up-and-comer. And it's pretty well known that if President Obama likes you, most Democrats are going to like you. And President Obama likes him very much. Uh, So much so that he was um, considered as VP uh, for Hillary Clinton because she was pretty much running as a third Obama term. And he made the shortlist. Obviously, she picked Senator Tim Kaine, but he got real close. So, yeah. He's running on a very aspirational message as the grandson of immigrants. He would be the first Latino to be the Democratic nominee should he win the nomination. And he very much feels that if Donald Trump is going to make immigration the central campaign issue for 2020, that there's nobody nobody more suited to take him on on that issue than someone from a border state who is the grandson of immigrants and is the face of an entire movement to support people who are here without paperwork or um, dreamers. And he is really raring raring to go to take the fight to Donald Trump on immigration, which is not something you hear from a lot of the other candidates. 
Not at all. Yeah, in fact, I would say it almost feels like the other candidates are kind of ignoring immigration. Um, well, that's not really true, because Gillibrand talks about immigration actually kind of a lot. Okay. Uh, but she she comes at it from more of a human rights perspective, like with the kids in the camps getting separated from their parents. Yeah, I, I think Democrats, like she... they are nervous because they think Donald Trump has the upper hand on the issue, which I don't think is true. I think most Americans think Donald Trump's stance is bad. But I I really do think that a lot of establishment Democrats kind of live in this fear that Donald Trump can use immigration as a winning issue for him. Yeah, I mean, it it's a weird combo because the wall idea, most people think, is ridiculous. Yes, very unpopular. Super unpopular. And so Democrats address that all the time because they know that that's already the weakest part of his immigration platform Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of people in the country who even if they think the wall is stupid still don't like immigration sure (laughs) so it's this weird disconnect of like you know democrats don't like the wall you guys don't like the wall right and then you're like yeah we don't like the wall uh okay can we uh hey what if we just gave immigrants rights and then people are like "Mm, I don't know about that. I don't know if we go that far. Yes. It's just, and Democrats are like, oh, okay. Yeah, for example, <laughs> like, pathway to citizenship normally polls pretty much even 50-50. Yep, pretty much. Yep. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, pathway to citizenship equals giving them rights. Like, yes. pretty much. Yes. Yep. Um, he does have some other stuff in his platform, like universal pre-kindergarten, He has endorsed Medicare for All, um, but really he is kind of a single-issue campaign at the moment, and he doesn't seem to mind it, and that single issue is immigration reform, which reminds me of another single-issue candidate running. Oh, oh, who might that be? I think it's uh, Governor Jay Inslee. Oh, I know him. Do you? Yeah, I could talk about him. You want me to talk about oh, him? Yeah, please do. <laughs> so, Jay Inslee is the current governor of Washington State. His leadership has made Washington State a pioneer in reducing carbon emissions. He's done a lot of work for getting public transportation to be more environmentally friendly, uh, generally just reducing carbon footprint jumpstarting recycling initiatives. He's very, if you haven't guessed, his main issue is global warming prevention. (laughs) What? Yes. Environmentalism, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, He has only held a governorship. He hasn't had any other elected positions. So that's kind of his whole resume. (laughs) Wait, seriously? He's only been a governor? Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's his whole thing. But, you know, he um, he's kind of like a small town family man sort of guy, and Americans kind of like that. So, yeah, he's like a small town family guy. He's got a big family, and he wants to help the planet not die, which I think is a pretty cool platform, all things considered. And, you know, he actually does have success under his belt on the state level of making improvements to reduce carbon emissions and just generally improve the environmentalism of his state. 
and that's cool. That's a good track record. So yeah, he he is a single issue candidate, but I think that he has a cool platform. Don't know any of his stances on like literally any other issue. I looked at his website. I tried to find interviews. I looked at his announcement, and he kind of says vague things, but doesn't have any official stances. So you know, it's early. He's playing it safe, and that's him. Yeah, that's Jay. That's my boy Jay. Oh my god, it's booty time. I'm so ready. All right. So next up is, I think the winner for best name, and that name is Drumroll, please. It's but it's but a gig, right? That's how you say it. No. School me. No, it's Buddha Judge. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. It's boot a judge. Buddha judge. The judge of Buddha judge. No, it's spelled B-U-T-T-I-G-I-E-G. Oh, what a disgusting spelling. Buddha judge. Buddha judge. All right, I got it. Booty judge. Booty judge. Booty judge. Tell me about him. (laughs) Pete Buddha judge. He is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. That's it. (laughs) Oh my god, all these guys. Okay, well, at least my other, at least Dinsley was, like, governor of a whole state. Yeah. Uh, no, Pete Buttigieg is straight up, uh, mayor of a town of 100,000 people. That's it. Um, he did serve in the U.S. military. He served in Iraq and Afghanistan, so he's a veteran. And he was also a Rhodes Scholar, which means he's the smart TM. And uh, he would also be the first openly LGBTQ president in American history if he makes it that far. I love his, uh, I don't even know if it's, I I guess it's kind of direct shade at Mike Pence. Yes. Like how he came out was so, just so good. (laughs) Wait, explain please. Oh my god, okay. So he came out in a letter right after Mike Pence uh, passed a legislation that would allow discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. And Buttigieg was like, hey, as a gay man, yeah, I'm gay, by the way, this sucks. <laughs> wow. Like, that was how he came out in the public eye, just, like, sticking it to Mike Pence. Damn. Yeah, it was pretty lit, and I mean that letter is great. Like you guys should, you guys should really check it out because he he just talks about how he's sick of not being allowed to have a private life, and it's just it's so real, and I really I applaud him for that. It was super cool. You should also check out his super great intro video. He has the best one, in my opinion, of any of the candidates so far. It's true he does though. Um, and he is running as we have seen with multiple candidates, as a progressive TM. So he is on board with that universal health care. He's on board with that climate change action and stopping the planet from melting into oblivion. He is also wanting to make um, the middle class grow, so he's taking some of that Elizabeth Warren cred and being like, yeah, capitalism is bad sometimes, let's make it better. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, hmm, I'm a millennial and I share lots of those viewpoints, that's because our boy Pete, Mr. Booty Judge himself, is a millennial. Yeah. 
Hell yeah. Hell yeah, I love it. He's like, you know what? You know who's causing all these problems? All these old people in Congress. And they don't think outside the box. They don't think outside the bun. Hit us up, Taco Bell, for that good, good sponsorship. We're gonna get fucking sued. No. Why did you say that? No. We're we're willing to shill for money. Anywho. So he's like, think outside the bun and elect a millennial who is gonna come in with some fresh takes. I really hope he says some meme on the campaign trail. I'm ready for it. Oh boy, yeah, if if Mayor Pete Buttigieg does not start memeing himself or like using meme culture, I think that is a cardinal sin and he will lose my support. Wow. That's a that's a strong take, Bert. Yeah, that's um that's the spicy take, but you know, our listeners are here for it. They're here they're not here for mild salsa. They want the spicy oh stuff and I'm giving to giving it to you straight. We want memes at Pete Buttigieg. Tweet him, tweet us, but tweet him. Ask him for memes. Tasteful memes only, though. Uh, so um, that's that's pretty much it. He's been a little cagey on specifics, um, but it doesn't look like he's going to claim to be a moderate. He is running mostly on his generational identity and as a progressive, and that's about it. All right. Well, speaking of millennials in the primary I'm gonna talk well wait okay I'm gonna talk about Tulsi Gabbard is she a millennial she's 37 she was born in 1981 Ooh, I don't is that a millennial I don't know I think that's a little too old generations are meaningless Tulsi Gabbard is a representative from Hawaii she's Samoan American she's an Iraq war veteran she's the first Hindu congressperson and she was the vice chair of the Democratic National Committee until February 28, 2016, when she resigned to endorse Senator Bernie Sanders. Previously, she was pretty bad with LGBT stuff. She lobbied against, like, LGBT issues. Uh, that's not how that works. She, she lobbied against, like, pro-LGBT legislation and was pretty outspoken, like, anti-gay uh, that was pre-2005. She apologized for those stances, I think, in 2012. And she seems like she's pretty much gotten over that phase of her life. Uh, it seemed like a lot of the homophobia resulted from her ties to her religion. That's the sense that I got. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has had some pretty controversial takes <laughs> uh, about... The war in Syria, which oh. I won't really get into. It's kind of more of a deep dive issue, but um, suffice to say, she is against the Syrian war because she was against removing uh, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad from power, which is a pretty controversial take, Tulsi. Gotta say. Yeah, she also wasn't sure if he used weapons, chemical weapons, which, like, everybody else is 100% sure that he used chemical weapons. Uh, but yeah, she has a lot of complicated things going on, and her platform is pretty similar to all of the other sort of vaguely progressive candidates on the docket. I would say. Okay, yep. That seems to be pretty common, this sort of vague progressivism. Yeah, and I mean, would you you say that's a fair summation 
Yeah, of her. absolutely. Okay, yeah, because I really, it just seemed like she was pretty much just that vague progressive sort of thing. Yep. Um, except she doesn't have, she doesn't have that, like, one issue sort of thing. Like, Castro and Inslee have their immigration and climate change things. Gabbard, I mean, her experience as a veteran means that she has stronger opinions on war-related issues than other candidates, but she hasn't really made that a huge part of her platform thus far. It's still early. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the sense I'm getting from her, just kind of the vague progressivism thing. Yeah, so that's that's a wrap on uh, that's a wrap on Gabbard, I would say. Yeah. Okay, so let's close it out with uh, the human Rorschach test, Beto. Oh my god. Can you can you explain that joke? I'm kidding. Uh yeah, funny thing about him, we had recorded the first part of this episode and then in between when we recorded that part and when we're recording this part now today, he announced his running. Yeah. For president. Yeah. Um so if you haven't heard of Beto O'Rourke, where have you been? He was a House member from El Paso, which is the city he grew up in, and then he ran for Senate, and he almost, almost beat the Zodiac Killer, Ted Cruz. Oh my god, stop! Um, listen, Ted Cruz- Innocent until proven guilty, you don't Ted- know he's the Zodiac mm, Killer. Mm, Ted Cruz has tweeted about it, and he pretty much said, I, I cannot- confirm or deny that I am the Zodiac Killer. There is no way he tweeted about it. Are you serious? Yes, he tweeted about it. Look it up. Pull over in your cars. If you're listening to this podcast in a car, pull over, pull up Twitter, make a Twitter, pull it up, and look for Ted Cruz's tweet about being the Zodiac Killer. Don't make a Twitter. It's a mistake. Yeah, actually don't. Twitter is awful and a garbage fire. Oh my god. He he did. He made a he made a fucking joke about the Zodiac Killer on Halloween. It's true. It's true. Anywho, Beto almost beat him because he's the Zodiac Killer. Oh my but god. he didn't. He lost by like three points, which is really impressive in Texas for a Democrat to lose by only three points. Like that that's impressive. Normally Democrats lose by like twenty five points. Yeah, I would he, he gets props. Um, and then, instead of announcing that he was going to run for president, he decided to go on an angsty teenage road trip, where he, <laughs> where he no lie, kept a public journal on Medium.com about his travels and how he needs to lose himself in order to find himself. Is he, like, are you sure he's not Drew Barrymore in the lead role of a rom-com? Um, I am not sure. I think this could be a big dupe, and we're all being bamboozled. Hmm. Okay. I, I, I won't table the idea. So, he finally, I guess, found himself and came back to his wife, who was looking after their kids while he was just driving around, and said, Hey, honey, I'm running for president. And she was like, great, I'm just going to sit here and hold your hand in a four-minute, very awkward intro video where I'm just sitting there smiling, and you talk about me a lot, but I don't actually speak for myself, and then we're going to get ripped to shreds by a bunch of liberal publications because I didn't say anything. I mean, we can unpack what would happen to a female candidate if she was like, hey, I wasn't home with my family and my husband took care of my kids while I was gone. 
and how the reactions would be very much different if these roles were reversed. But you know. You already know. You don't need me to tell you that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Beto, uh, even though I think a lot of journalists and pundits have kind of soured on him for his entire find-himself road trip to K-19, uh, I actually think he's very compelling and a force of nature to be reckoned with. He raised a lot of money when he ran for Senate, and he has already raised a lot of money in his run for president. As of the time of recording, he hasn't said exactly how much, but it seems to be pretty on par with, say, above Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren. It's a lot of small donor do- donations, and he is um, he's just really gifted public speaker, and he has a very unique ability to get people really excited, which kind of sounds like Obama 08 question mark, where people... Ooh, is that a personal uh, anecdote, Bert? You excited? I, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's exciting. He's an exciting person. He is very passionate about the issues, and he's very good at making you care about the issue. Okay. Yeah. I feel like you could say that about a lot of people on this list, but I'll give it to you. Yeah. Um, I think his strongest thing... Are his arms. No, he's not Michelle Obama. He lift me. He, his strongest attribute is that a lot of the people who um, orchestrated the Obama 08 campaign have publicly said that they want him to run because they feel that he has that spark and that that once-in-a-generation political ambition and skill set that cannot be replicated. And they also feel like now is his time. Well, good for him. And I know I, I joked about the... Well, I semi-seriously uh, talked about the gender difference thing. I really don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, it's kind of like acknowledge it. Think about why you're reacting the way you're reacting, and then move on. It's not that big of a deal. Policy matters more than stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I think, I honestly think the media doesn't really know what to do with him at this point, and so they're trying to latch on to different things, because they have no idea how to treat him. It's so, he's so strange in that he could have just announced, but then didn't, and then ran away from home. (laughs) For a while. And went on a wild, uh, wild trek. Yeah, across the American West. It was very, like, Jack Kerouac of him. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I am gonna ask, you said, like, liberal media, and then you said media, and I just want to know who you're talking about specifically. Oh, that was ripping him for his intro video? Yeah, I mean, I've seen, like, the fucking think pieces or whatever, but... Oh, like Slate, um, Fox... Um, oh, the New York Times had an opinion piece about it. Oh, all right. Yeah. yeah. So who you would expect, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's pretty much better. He's running as, well, he is running <laughs> as this generic progressive, but much like Amy Klobuchar, when you say, oh, does that mean Medicare for all? He's like, hmm, maybe. And then you're like, does that mean huge action on climate change akin to maybe something on the magnitude of a Green New Deal 
And he's like, hmm, maybe. So, yeah. Man, these people are playing Dance Dance Revolution yeah, over here. Yeah, Beto is 1,000%. Spinning out of the questions. Spinning questions left and right. And uh, I think if he wants to succeed, he's going to have to start hammering down some pretty solid positions. And he's just going to have to deal with the consequences. I think that's going to be a lot of these candidates, actually. Like, the more centristy ones are going to have to start nailing down their positions, and they're going to hate it. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I like... If, if your position, if you truly, if you, honest to God, think that a moderate position on a certain issue is the right position, take it. Make the argument. Make the moral argument. Convince voters that you're right. Like, don't just waffle to avoid people saying that you're wrong yep uh, that that is the worst thing you can do like just be like bernie let your freak flag fly you know yep uh i think the democratic primary electorate is not going to be fans of these wishy-washy positions and we're gonna demand that they take some solid solid stances you know yeah absolutely Oh man, that was a lot, and we're only just getting started. Yeah, it's going to be an eventful primary with lots of stuff to cover. Make sure you're subscribed to our feed on the podcast platform of your choice so that you never miss an episode. You can also tweet us at PrimeFriendsPod or email us at PrimarilyFriends at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I've been Bert. And I've been Catherine. Bye! Bye! Biden and Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. And they are a tale of two intertwined souls. They are. Oh, that's so romantic. It's beautiful. I cry every time. Everton. Uh yeah, if like this podcast, if you create Everton. Oh my god. Um, okay, no, you're editing that out. <laughs> <laughs> you're fucking editing that out. I can't. Okay.